Amen. Good night. You're dismissed. Just jump in the river. Come on. Last night when I was walking, we went out to um, Barbecue for Life last night, and we got back to the hotel, and we all wanted to go for a walk. So we just walked down by the river, and I got a vision the Lord gave me about your church. You know, River House, it's not just one house. It's like you guys have a river flowing out of you, but you're also, you're also flowing in the river that's flowing out of you. And wherever the Spirit prompts you to plant another house and another house, every one of those houses will be a part of the flowing of the river. And you'll end up having a house in every neighborhood, and you'll have an influence on the whole city. It's going to happen. That's a pretty good vision. There'll be multiple river houses, but it'll be a part of the same river, and it'll influence every community. I'm of the opinion that the third great awakening won't come with greater preaching. It won't come with greater worship. It'll come when people actually allow the Spirit to make us family, like Acts 2, 42 through 47. If we live that daily... We'll change the world. We'll look just like our papa. And everybody in the world will want what we have. We won't have to go looking for them. They'll be running to us. They'll see the light of God. And people just run to that light, man. And it's only the brightest when it's in community. It's not individual lights. It's family. So... Anyway, I saw that last night about this house. I'm going to really be a part of this house in better ways. The Lord's speaking to me. I'm excited about what's going on here. You guys excited? You need a bigger place. I hate double services. Stupid. So, anyway, it is. I hate them. But I hope you never go to Sunday morning because I hate morning services. I hope it's always at night. I operate better at night, man. Most time, I'm a missionary to the American church. I am. That's my job, to wake up the church. And I'll go overseas, but God's got so much for us here that's dead. Um, And most time, Sunday morning, people that come to church, they're not even born again. They're just there out of obligation. And so there's conflicting spirits in the atmosphere where God has a hard time moving in morning services. The evening services, nobody comes except the ones who love God. <laughs> so God always does miracles in the evening services. So it's kind of awesome. Somebody's got a right leg or a right foot that's really hurting them, and God wants to heal it tonight. I just see it really hard in my heart right now, right leg or right knee, right foot. Who is that? God's hurting you. Who is it? It's your right leg? Okay, stand up. Who else has a right leg? You have a right problem? What's wrong with you? Okay, slipped off a rock? Okay, just stand up just for a minute. Can you stand up? Anybody else? Your right leg or your right foot? Right knee or whatever? Stand up back there. I just heard it real strong while they were singing that song. It's the right leg. 
right foot. Okay, Father, release your healing. Let's touch these three ladies. No. Four. You got a right leg problem too? Did it just now start hurting or were you just slow to listen? Okay. God's going to heal you. He's going to take away the pain. So, Lord, just release your presence now in Jesus' name. Let it just dissolve out right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You'll feel better now. Amen. You guys can sit down. You'll feel better now. You're going to be shocked when you get home tonight. It's going to be good. It'll be a good shock. Somebody else has a sinus deal going on that it's so thick it hurts your teeth. And it hurts your... Is that you, guy? Both of you? Whoa. Sound guys have sinus issues? <laughs> but it's hard. It's almost like it hurts your teeth, hurts your face, hurts your eyes, hurts your ears. Is that right? It's like it's all thick. Yeah. And so, so be free right now. Listen, listen, listen. Just, just receive, receive freedom right now in Jesus' name. Both of you have that. Sinuses be cleared right now in Jesus' name. Now just breathe. It should be clear. It should be. You should feel good right now. I heard it really, really strong. Does it feel good? That's awesome. Praise God. His yoke is easy, man. It's not hard. Yeah. He's a healer. He's a healer. He loves to touch his people. So I've been thinking a lot about this. Now, I got a lot of things I got to do tonight, and Jordan said there's no time restraint on this service, so um, <laughs> sorry he said that. <clears throat> so we'll be done by midnight. Maybe. No, I'm joking. No, I'm not. I'm not. Depends on how high the river gets. But I've been doing a lot of thinking the last year. It's been a bit, it's just, I can't get out of this concept of the evolution of faith in the believer. It always starts in hope. Faith starts in hope. You know, Hebrews 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So faith is the substance of what you hope for. But faith really believes that God will do it someday. So if you stay in hope, you'll get discouraged. Because someday's not today. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Today's the day of soteria. Forgiveness, cleansing, healing, deliverance. Today's the day of that, not someday. And so hope has to get into faith. Faith is like faith is taking the word and letting that become the greatest reality in your life over your circumstances and everything you feel like you're going through. In other words, faith is when that's what you start going through instead of what you're going through. I can tell if you're in hope or faith by asking you one question, how you doing? Your answer always tells me where you're at. 
well, I'm going through this. No, you're not in faith. You're in hope. Because when you're in real biblical faith, well, God's in me. He's got a plan. It's blowing my mind. And I don't see it right now, but I sure feel joy because I know at any moment he's going to break through. And that would be a person that's in faith and not hope. Does that make sense? Faith is knowing the word. Faith In Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or the word of God. Doesn't come by reading. Comes by hearing. You can read your whole Bible, and if you're reading for the wrong motives, it'll lead you away from God. Or it can lead you to an encounter like you've never had with God. Just depends on why you're doing it. He wants us to know him. And so faith, it's like, okay, this word is so real to me now. That's my reality. The truth of his word is a greater reality than anything I could ever go through. Because it's unchangeable. Because the word established it. Jesus is the word, right? He already accomplished everything that we never need to accomplish. And he's already been through everything we'll ever go through. So what he went through is greater than anything we'll ever go through. So let's get out of hope and get into faith. Because without faith, we can't please God. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without it, we can't please him. So let's live a life of pleasing him. It probably works out better for us. It's better for the listeners. Remember that movie, Uncle Buck? Remember that? When he kept telling the stories and Steve Martin says, Have a point! It's so much better for the listener. Remember that? Are you too young? Come on. <clears throat> in, in Mark chapter 12, the greatest commandment is to hear. Remember that the disciples said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your... But the first commandment was hear. My sheep hear. Faith comes by hearing. You're never going to get out of hope into faith until you get intimate enough to hear. Which probably means you've got to spend time pushing everything else out. So that you can let the one who's living in you have the loudest voice. But I don't want to focus on faith. I want to get to belief. <laughs> belief is when faith comes to the moment where the Kairos opportunistic God that lives in us can't wait to splice into that situation. And faith draws God right now into belief. <clears throat> and belief is when all of a sudden a mere mortal has the same faith that God has. Come on, that's 1 Corinthians 12, 8. One of the manifestations is faith. That's the faith of God. That's not your faith. That's God's faith. That's when you just know. You're fully persuaded, fully convinced. There's no doubt in your life that it's God's will. And it leaves hope and it leaves faith and now it just explodes into belief and you have it right now. Come on, 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, if you can have all faith, that would not be your faith, that would be God, because if it's all faith, it's God's faith. Mark eleven twenty two says, if you have faith and you believe and don't doubt, you can say this mountain, but it says have faith in God, but it really could be translated have faith of God. Or in other words, get out of hope and faith and get to belief, or now it's God's faith manifesting in your belief. He wants us to be believers. I'm preaching good. 
most churches that you go to are hope churches. They're not even faith churches, it's hope churches. What does that mean? They live a life like this. Oh, maybe the kids will come someday. Maybe the finances will turn someday. Maybe I'll get my breakthrough someday. So it's not, that's not even biblical hope. That's just human hope. Facading is religion. That would be 2 Timothy 3.5, a form of godliness. Denying power. That's like, oh, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But the song they just sang was all the promises aren't yes and no. <laughs> They're yes. What do you know? <laughs> all the promises are yes. But by the way, God doesn't have to say amen. He's waiting on us to say it. When Jesus said it's finished, that was the amen. So he waits for us to catch up with him. But love is patient. So hope, faith, belief. If you live a life of belief, you speak to mountains, they have to move. They have to. Well, you're crazy, Dan. You have your head in the sand. No, I don't. I have my, hand, I have my head in the heavens. A life of belief is seeing everything from his perspective instead of your problems. It's seeing everything from his provision instead of your problems. It's seeing everything from his promises instead of your problems. Listen to this. In, in John 17, Jesus says, Father, I finished the work which you gave me to do, but it's on the heels. That's John 17. He says that on the heels of after praying in third person. Let me explain that to you. He prayed as a person in the garden. He didn't pray as God. He prayed as, he prayed as a spirit that was lifted out of a body looking at a man in the garden that was going to have to pay for the sins of the world, and he's praying over himself in third person, and then he comes back into his body, and he says, Father, I've finished what you sent me to do, and that's before anybody arrested him or anything. What did he finish? What did he do? What did God send him to do? Show humanity that it's possible to live from the spirit realm with God's perspective over any situation. Instead of being bound in our situations, asking God to come into our situations, we actually can be seated with God in his perspective, in his realm, and pray over any situation. In other words, we're praying heaven to earth, not trying to get heaven to come to earth. That's a life of belief. Isn't that exciting? So, how do you get there? Well, it starts with hope. <laughs> but the problem is, if you don't get out of hope into faith, eventually hope gets you deferred. And I want to preach about that tonight. Is that okay? Hope deferred. Hebrews, excuse me, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred. What does that mean? Well, you've been, you've been hoping for this situation. You've been hoping for this miracle. You've been hoping for this breakthrough. 
You've been hoping and hoping and hoping, but if you just stay in hope, but you don't get into faith, how can belief ever latch hold? So hope gets deferred, and now we grow weary in well-doing, and we need ministry instead of being the message of God. Why do so many Christians need ministry? Why aren't we the message? Why did Jesus never need ministry? Probably because he lived in belief. Was he one of us? He was a human, emptied of the glory. He gave it all up to show us it's possible to be spirit-led, spirit-empowered, spirit-driven. But he never said, oh, it's too hard, God. Going through a season. Come on. He goes into the wilderness, right? And he didn't come out after 40 days saying, oh, can we have a prayer meeting? Can you, can you guys lay hands on me? I need a sabbatical. Come on. He came out in the power of the Spirit because he went in believing and he stayed believing in there. And it's not about what you go through. It's about who's in you, taking him with you where he's headed to. It's never about what a Christian's going through unless you're going through him. And we should never stop going through that. Am I preaching okay? And so hope deferred. I believe it's so essential. How many of you are here in the last service? Yeah, a lot of you. I believe if you don't get a pure heart, you will stay in hope deferred as a Christian way of life. Because a pure heart gives you courage to confess the areas of your life that are hope deferred. A divided heart keeps you in pride where you don't want to admit stuff and you just want to stay a victim. And you always need ministry. And you're always drawing on other people and people want to avoid you because you never build them up. You just always suck the life out of them. What if all you had was life flowing out of you? Come on. And so I'm 56 years old. I'll be 57 next month. Yeah, I'm young, man. You're so young. Last year... I had four areas of my life that were hope deferred. Four areas. And I've been sanctified since 1995. I have had a pure heart since 1995. But I allowed circumstances to create areas of my life where I accepted them as unchangeable. And I started making up theologies so I wouldn't feel condemned in my hope deferred state. Like, well, maybe that's my lot in life. Maybe God's going to use it as a thorn experience to keep me humble. Most of the time, I didn't try to make up theologies. Most of the time, I just said, okay, God, I'm just not going to focus on it because if you want it to happen, it'll happen. So I'm going to focus on the things you're doing, which is healing people and setting people free. And I wouldn't allow my hope deferred to block other people's chances of a miracle. So that was a good thing. That means I probably had a pure heart. But there were areas of my life that were not changing. You get it? So, you want to hear the areas? Four of them. This last year, they were all in my life. They were hope deferred, and they were painful areas. The first one was a daughter. She got divorced. She was living with a guy. 
broke my heart. And for three and a half years, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed myself into depression. Because the more I prayed, it seemed like the harder she got. And she said, Dad, I don't need you to text me verses. And so she said, I don't even want to hear from you. Well, I wasn't really good at the verses I texted her. I said, you know, he who causes one of these little ones to stumble would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck than thrown in. I didn't probably pick good verses. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't like her living in sin, saying it was okay in front of my four grandkids that are her kids. I didn't want that because she was raised better. So it's like I got really, really angry at my own child where I would have faith for everybody else who's in trouble, but it didn't affect me like my own child. But then God convicted me on that, and if I don't love everybody else's child like I love my own child, then I haven't become love. And that's a problem with the church. We love our own people and our own church and our own families, but what if it's really the family of God? Then, if I'm loving everybody's child, if my child's all stupid, stuck on stupid... It won't have such a negative pull on my emotions because I'm seeing God moving everybody else's children. And what I'm sowing into them, maybe he could do in my family. That would be a manifestation of Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom. God cares about my kids more than I do. But I got so close to it, see, and I got so hope deferred that it became very painful. And I finally got angry and I just lived in anger and I was mad. Then we stopped talking, and we went years without even talking, and we talked every day until this. It really messes up. Sin messes up stuff. Did you guys know sin messes up stuff? So last March, I was in my hotel room praying, and God says to me, quit praying for your daughter. What? I'm not listening. What? What? Have you ever been driving down the highway when it's like 100 degrees and you see a sign, bridge ices before road? I kind of need more information. (laughs) Do you get it? It's 100 degrees out. Bridge ices before roadway. Come on. When God tells me I'm not listening to your prayer for your daughter, I need more information. What do you mean, God? God. You're you're not praying in love. You're not praying with compassion. You're praying in anger. You're praying in fear. You're praying in disappointment. I don't even hear that. Well, do you know she's lost? You know, you try to tell God. Like he needs brought up to speed. (laughs) I'm glad none of you had wayward kids. Just let me spill my stuff out, okay? You guys have a perfect life, so just indulge me, okay? So, so I said, so what do you mean, God? He goes, the only thing that works is faith working in love. And you're not in love. You're in disappointment and fear and depression and anger. So this is what I want you to do, Dan. I want you to start thanking me that your daughter's going to be an on-fire Christian and your grandkids are going to be prophets and prophetesses and I'm going to use them like I've never used anybody else. So you just start thanking me. That makes no sense because she's lost. But he said to do it, and I know enough when I hear God, it's like if you don't obey him, you're mentally, i got to say, no, you just got some mental issues. 
If you hear God and you don't do what he says, then you're probably not very smart. Is that politically correct, okay, to say that? Okay. Because God's, really, God's guarding my tongue here. I used to be really loose with that stuff. I'm really kind now. I'm, I'm getting ordained. Okay. So, um, so <laughs> anyway... So I started thanking God, and about two weeks into thanking God, I started wanting to call my daughter again. Isn't that weird? It's like I actually wanted to talk to my daughter because my attitude changed. Because it says you enter his courts with thanksgiving. And maybe he was waiting for me all along to be thankful so I could actually know I was in his presence. So a month goes by, and then the Lord says, now start praising me. I just remember, I remember these things. I said, well, what's the difference? He says, praise is thanksgiving on steroids. Praise is thanksgiving with wings on it. So I praise you, God, that my daughter's going to be on fire. I praise you. She's going to be a mighty woman. I just praise you, God, for a month. I get home at the end of May last year. I get a day and a half home. Then we're leaving for a seven-week sabbatical, me and my wife. And the Lord says to me, you need to have Kristen and Jason over the house. You need to see them. I got a word. I just want you to see him before you leave on your vacation. And I said, okay. So I told my wife, I'm having Jason and Kristen over. She goes, why? I don't want to have a fight. Because my wife knows that I'm mad. But she hasn't been in the hotel room for two months. She doesn't know what God did to my heart with praise and thanksgiving. She doesn't know that I've left hope deferred. And now I'm faithing. And I believe God at any moment could change my daughter's life. Because now I'm not angry and disappointed in fear. Now I've got faith overflowing and i got a bunch of hope and love. Come on, man. I'm giving you practical things you could do. And so I called him over. My wife doesn't want to be in the meeting. So she gets out. She's stubborn. My wife, she gets on the mower and she starts mowing the yard, man. Because she doesn't want to be in a fight. So when Jason comes in, as my, my daughter's boyfriend, I said, Jason, go get Debbie. She needs to be in here. And she goes, okay, Mr. Bohai, because he's a little afraid of me. <laughs> he should be. Okay, because I'm not happy with what they're doing, but I love him. Okay. So my wife comes in. She's like, you know, she gives you that look. And they can talk, can't they? Women have a different language. It's like. Women are like cats, and we're like dogs. That's all I can say. Cats just, I don't know what that stuff is. You rub a cat, and it's like either sucking the air out of your mouth or they're doing something rubbing on you. I don't know what they do, but dogs are just happy. Just, hey, man, what do you want to do? They don't even remember nothing. That's me. That's me. So anyway, my wife's there, and I'm sitting there, and this is all I said to Jason and Chris. I said, you guys have God handcuffed. If you just make a change and do what's right, you can unhandcuff God and his favor and blessing could just dump on you guys. That's all I said. Three and a half years of prayer, nothing happened. Two months of praise and thanksgiving, that's all I said. And Jason falls on his knees and starts crying. He's weeping. My wife's glad she's in the meeting now. And he prays through. You know what he says in his prayer? I don't want to be a sinner. I didn't mention sin. I don't want to hurt the kids. I don't want to hurt your daughter. I don't want to hurt you and Debbie, Dan. I, I want to be right with God. All I said was unhandcuff God. I wonder if he doesn't have it the praise of his people. Come on. Come on. 
I mean, all I said was that. I was like, I understand Peter in Acts 2. It's like a 26-verse, 45-second sermon after 10 days of prayer. I wonder if we just need the presence and we could just do a lot less work. I mean, the last verse of Colossians 1 says we could labor with the power that's laboring through us instead of us trying to always do something that he'll back us up. Come on. So I looked at my daughter and I said, what do you think, Chris? And she goes, you're right, Dad. She's stubborn more. She's worse than her mom. But she prayed through. And I'm the happiest guy on the planet because all I said was unhandcuff God. And they're leaving there, going out to the car, and all of a sudden Jason runs back in and goes, Mr. Boha, I need to tell you something. Yeah, what's up, Jason? We're not going to be sexually active anymore. We're going to be pure when we get married. I just want you to know I'm going to live right with God. And you remind me of my grandma. She was on fire for God, and she died when I was 18. I feel like I've been lost for like 11 years, but you're just like her, and I'm going to live for God now. And, well, thank you, Jason. So he runs back out to the car, and it was amazing. It was amazing. And so I come back from the sabbatical, and it's time for the wedding, right? I'm pumped. Because, you see, this is what I believe. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he quoted 521, but before that it says, you know, when you really are in Christ, you're a new creature, and the, all the old is gone, and all the new has come. So from God's perspective, they're virgins. It's like brand new. You know, when I was praying, the Lord convicted me about he's not listening. You know what he told me? You think your daughter's life's over because she's had one divorce. You definitely don't see what I see. I chose a lady once who had five divorces, and she was still living with a guy, so she was still a dumb learner. But I turned her into an evangelist. A whole town came to faith, and you think your daughter's life's over? Probably ought to live in belief instead of hope deferred. Because if you lived in belief, you'd never think, where's God? you just be pointing on where you're going to drop those atomic bombs of God's grace and love. Am I preaching okay or are you just quiet? <laughs> so so um, it's the night, Friday night for the wedding. Starts weddings at Saturday, Sunday afternoon, but Friday night, my daughter calls me and says, Daddy, would you come over and meet Jason's family? I just got to tell you, Jason's black. My family's all white. And Jason's family, they're all bodybuilders. My family has bodies, but we're not. <laughs> Jason's brothers all look like this, and all me and my boys look kind of like this more. Um, anyway, it's just it's a family trait, okay? Um, so on the way over to meet the family, my wife says, how are you going to act? I said, I'm going to be good, Debbie. I love them. She, doesn't, she hasn't been with me in the hotel room. She just knows the guy that knows right and wrong and is disappointed with the daughter and likes to quote scriptures and discerns spirits real fast. And I have ADD, so I always want to get to the conclusion to get people fixed instead of having love that covers over a multitude so they can have a chance to have an encounter with what I've encountered. See, I got areas I need to grow up in even though I got a pure heart. Come on, you guys. So I'll go over there, and the first person I see is Jason's younger brother, Josh. He's 20. Five, my son-in-law, Jason's 29. This is 25-year-old. He's got a tank top on with an upside-down middle finger flipping you off. That's the shirt he's wearing. That's my first impression. 
How many chances do you have to make a first impression? Probably ought to be full of the Spirit all the time. Come on, you know what I did to little Josh? I hugged him so tight, I think I took the breath out of him. I ran up to him, I just hugged him. I said, I love you, Josh. Welcome to my family. He goes, thank, thank you, Mr. Bohai. And, <laughs> I saw him walk behind me. He went in the house, he changed his shirt. <laughs> I didn't say nothing about the upside down middle finger. I didn't, I didn't, I just loved him. I wonder if love wins. Come on. I wonder if love never fails. The next person I see is Jason's nephew. Six foot five, six, 16-year-old stud, plays varsity sports. Looks like Denzel Washington. I mean, he looks like a specimen. And I'm looking at him, and all of a sudden, the Lord gives me a word. You haven't had a father speak into you, brother. And, you, and you, you're longing for that influence, but if you'll just follow God, he'll use you to touch thousands of people. He goes... Thank you, Mr. Bohai. And after that night, I found out that guy's daddy had been in prison his whole life and nobody ever spoke into him, and I don't know him. But the Jesus who lives in me knows everybody, and I wonder if, if I was actually living in faith, belief could grow out of faith at any moment if I'm not in this hope deferred. You see, hope deferred, it's all about what God needs to do for you, but when you're out of hope deferred into faith, now God can't wait to release things through you. I'm preaching really good. The next person I see is one of Jason's uncles. The whole family's there. And he's on a cane. He's walking around. He's hobbled up. What's wrong, sir? I got to have both my knees replaced. What happened? He tells me the story. I said, well, let's pray. Okay. I, I mean, right now. Come over here. So I put my hands on his knees. I'm praying. I have my eyes open because you're at a barbecue. You don't, I close my eyes at church. When you lay hands on people out of church, you keep your eyes open. They could hit you or something. You just, just be aware. Come on. <laughs> eyes wide open. Okay. So I'm praying. I look over at my wife while I'm praying. You know what she says to me? Are you going to pray with all of them? <laughs> it's the first impression night. Come on, guys. Let's just give them Jesus. I'm sitting there next to Mama G, Jason's mom, and all the kids are playing volleyball. It's 105 degrees, and we're in the shade drinking water. And she goes, hey, Dan, your daughter is an answer to my lifetime prayers. What? Tell me more. Yeah, when she met my, my son, Jason, he had ADD his whole life. He couldn't hold a job. And one week after he met Kristen, he doesn't have it anymore. And now he's been promoted three times, and I just want you to know Kristen's been the greatest thing that's ever happened to my boy. I said, well, thank you for telling me that. I wonder if God's working more than we give him credit for. I wonder if we'd stop focusing on what's not happening and get our focus back on the happener. <laughs> the mountains would look smaller. Amen? So... The last thing that happened that night that was kind of cool was I was sitting there next to Mama G, and I see Jason's older sister, Missy, and her husband, Bruce, and she's a superstar Olympic athlete. She trains Olympic athletes, and she works at AIG, some VP job, and her husband's an AD for a college, and they're successful people, and, but God tells me she can't get pregnant. I love that. It's just almost like cheating when he tells you stuff. I mean, it's, it makes it easy. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so I said, Missy, are you having trouble having kids? Ah, 
just instant tears. I've been trying for years. Come over, we're going to pray. Well, this time, there's such a momentum shift in the barbecue that all of Jason's family and all of my family, there's like 60 of us in a big circle praying over Missy to get pregnant. Meet the family night. <laughs> Come on. So on Sunday, we go to set up the wedding, right? We rent this Mojave house, and it's a historic house there. And I show up, and Jason's uncle, the guy on the cane, he doesn't have a cane. He's not limping. So what's wrong, dude? What happened? Man, I woke up Saturday. My knees don't hurt. I was supposed to get them replaced. They don't hurt at all. And this is my brother-in-law, and this is my uncle, and I told them about you, and they have, this one's got diabetes, and that one's got something. Would you pray for them? So we're having a healing service before the wedding. Come on. And so the wedding, you know, gets going, and my daughter asked me, she said, hey, Daddy, would you walk me down the aisle? Because before she was afraid to ask me because of her shame. But my love, let her be healed, see? She wanted her four kids to walk her down the aisle because she didn't think I would because of her shame. But when she saw how much I loved her family Friday night, she was overwhelmed, and she texted me Saturday, and she says, Daddy, i really been thinking, would you please walk me down the aisle? And I said, I wouldn't miss it for the world. So we're there, me and Kristen. She's my oldest. She's six foot, all-American, basketball player, 4.0, four grandkids. She's amazing. And I, she goes, okay, Dad, let's go. I said, it's not time. What? Dad, he's playing the music. We got to go, Chris, and I got to say something. Can you tell me later? No. And I kind of got in the flesh just for a minute. I said, you're going to listen to me because I'm paying for this wedding for the second time, and I don't like that. <laughs> I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> it was the truth, but you got to speak love, okay? So anyway, so I'm, I got her. I said, Kristen, 16 years ago when you got married, you didn't love him. You, got, you were in trouble. And two weeks after you were married, you came to me and you said, Daddy, I got to get divorced. And I said to you, if you get divorced, I won't support you because we don't believe in divorce. And I still don't believe in divorce. But I didn't give her the kind of grace and love that God's given me. And I said, I was wrong. And all these years I've watched you die a slow death because you never have Loved him, but you did it to try to live up to my expectations. I want you to know that I know what you're doing now is right. I've never been more proud of you in my whole life. And you've never been this beautiful. And my, my daughter's bawling. She's bawling. Tears. And Jason, I'm looking at Jason, he's bawling. Because he thinks I'm like his grandma. <laughs> so we walk down the aisle and before I give her up, I said, come here, Jason. I hugged Jason with this arm, and I got Kristen this arm, and I'm bear-hugging them. And the whole audience stands up, half black, half white, and they're all cheering. You know what I found out? We don't have a racial problem in America. We have a lack of love problem. If we were really Christians, it wouldn't be separate Black churches and Hispanic churches and Korean churches and white churches, come on. We don't have a racism problem. We don't need a race reconciliation conference. We need people to become like Jesus. Am I right? So, after that wedding, 
two of Jason's family members emailed my wife and said, we're going to give our life to Jesus because we've never felt God like we did during this wedding. Awesome. So this year I was in San Diego doing a meeting and my daughter called me and she said, hey, daddy, you ready to be a papa again? That's number 14. And she said, don't tell mom and don't tell Jason because you're the first person I wanted to call because I knew you would pray. Three years we didn't talk. God healed it so much I was the first one she called. I wonder if we could get out of hope deferred. With faith and people that believe nothing would be impossible. And because that happened in my daughter's life, listen to this. Now all my kids are on fire. The kids that were kind of lukewarm, they're all on fire. You know, I live revival every day of my life. But when I go home now, it's even more intense than this. Because all my kids are like walking revivals. They'll tell you. My team will tell you. One of my sons, Josh, prays about where he should park in Walmart parking lot because he knows God's going to let him lay hands on the person that's parked next to him. They're freaks. <laughs> I love it, man. And so that's the first area that was hope deferred. It's not anymore. Three and a half years, two months. How did you get out of hope deferred into faith that believes? Praise and thanksgiving. Come on, you guys. The next area of my life last year that was, a, was, a, was an area that was hope deferred was in my old life, I was wealthy. And I always blessed ministries. I always blessed people. I always lived with this rule that I would give 30% to the church. Always. And God always just blessed. And I got the call to do this ministry nine years ago, and I just figured that would never be an area of my life I could enjoy again. And I, I enjoyed it. Not the money. I like blessing. The money never satisfied. It was the blessing. You get it? And so I didn't know how, I just gave up on it. That was hope deferred. And then last year I was in Illinois and I was preaching a revival. And at the end of the service, I saw a bunch of people that were real stubborn like this. And the Holy Spirit says, you need to leave the sanctuary and let Craig finish the service because they're not going to listen. It's probably not safe for him for you to be in here. So just walk out. Just be kind, but walk out. That sounds fun. <laughs> my sheep hear my voice. The sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit. So I walked out. Craig didn't get home till like 1 in the morning from the service. I thought they tarred and feathered him. I literally thought that he was in trouble. And finally I said, what happened? He goes, well, the pastor knew you were right. and He's not mad. He's glad you did it. And I ended up discipling these six people that came to the altar. They were in Arby's, and we didn't get out, you know, for real late. And I said, well, Craig, you've got to preach in the morning. I can't preach. And okay, so Craig shows up, and you know what he preached that morning in that church that was like this? He preached the lukewarm church that goes to hell. <laughs> because there's no vomit-covered Christians in heaven. Come on, you guys. You're either on fire or not. And he said that that morning a lot of people responded. It was awesome. The great breakthroughs. And so the Lord says, you can preach that night. But So I, I went to bed and took a nap. I woke up. It was about 2 in the afternoon. And 
I hear the devil say to me, you idiot, who do you think you are? How do you, what do you think you are, walking out of a church? You, you, you're stupid. How do you know that was the devil, Dan? Because it made me feel afraid. You know how to discern the voice of God and the voice of the enemy? God's voice doesn't make you afraid or feel weak. It makes you feel strong and faithful and courageous. The devil always says things that make you doubt. So I'm listening to him saying, you idiot, you're such an idiot. What do you think? And then about two seconds later, I hear this voice. I'm just trying to find somebody who will do what I say. And I could back them up and give them some kind of a platform that could help change the whole church. I wonder which voice was from the devil. I'm going to listen to this one because I felt courageous. Ten minutes later, a phone call comes. The guy that got healed a month earlier in Oklahoma, he goes, hey, I want to bless your ministry. And I can't even tell you what he's done. I'll just tell you this. We're giving away more than $2 million a year now to other ministries because of one thing I did walking out of a church. I don't have that hope deferred area anymore. <laughs> What'd you do? I just walked out of the church. But why did God give you the money? Well, because when I was in his church, we did a public confession service, which one of the district leaders says, I don't want you doing public confession services, but I did it anyway because I heard God. And because of this guy got healed, <laughs> I think following God's better than anybody else you could follow. That area is not hope deferred. Here's the third area. I got to hurry up, don't I? Because it's so late they shut the clock off. <laughs> I don't want it up because it make me nervous. Just keep it off. Um, the third area of my life was the pain in my body. I got hit by a semi-truck in 1995, and it broke my back. It broke my pelvis. It ruined my metabolism. It made me gain 250 pounds, and I've been in pain since 1995. Constant pain. I would see miracles every day of my life in other people, but God never healed me. 21 and a half years of constant pain. That's hope deferred. It's a reality. It's hope deferred. My heart's pure. I'm all for God. I want transformation in everybody I minister to, but I just gave up believing it would ever happen for me because of the length of deferment. Do you get this, church? So last November, I'm in Hawaii preaching, and I'm in so much pain, and I'm so glad I didn't get into pain pills because I'd have been addicted to them. God protected me from that. But I did take four or five Motrin every day just so I could walk from the car into the sanctuary and set to preach because I was in so much pain. But I never let it affect my faith for you. That's a gift from God. Come on. I didn't allow what I was going through to affect the one who's going through me for you. But I still was in pain. So I'm laying there in my bed in Maui, and I'm praying. I'm crying. Really, I'm crying because I'm hurting. And I said, God, I don't know if I can keep doing this ministry. I'm hurting. I can't do this. And I fell asleep, and he gave me a dream. Sometimes he'll take you out of hope deferred and get you back into faith with a dream. 30% of the ways he talks to people in the Bible is through dreams or visions. So I... You know, I'm having to learn that because I'm a Nazarene. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. Jesus was too. I'm just I'm having to learn. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I had this dream. In the dream, there's this white 
Mercedes van that's real tall. There's a kitchen. There's a little lady cooking in there, and she gets me healthy, and I'm out of pain in the dream. She's traveling with me, cooking for me, and I get healthy. I have no pain. I woke up. It's like, whoa. Finished that tent revival that night. Got on a plane, flew overnight to Portland, driving down to Medford to start our next meeting on Sunday. I flew Saturday night, drove, or Saturday morning, drive down. I'm, I get to my hotel. I'm in so much pain. I'm shaking in pain. God, I can't go on. This is all he said to me. Remember and trust the dream. Trust the dream. Okay, God. So I preached that morning, pain, setting down. After the service, we went over to this people's house, and I noticed in the driveway there's a white Mercedes van. <laughs> so I go inside, and it's a lady. Her name's Kathy, and she's like cooking all these vegetables, and it smells like a greenhouse in her house. And there's green stuff all over the ground. It's just like all these blenders and juicers and everything. There's just stuff shooting everywhere. It's just like... It's, it's a danger zone for vegetables. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, Kathy, you are supposed to get me healthy. Just came out. And she started bawling. And she ran out from behind the counter in the kitchen, the big bar, and she's hugging me. She goes, oh, Dan, God told me in August I was supposed to do this, but I was afraid to ask you. I thought it would offend you. Offend me? I need you. <laughs> she, <clears throat> she, she, um, <clears throat> she met me. She came, she flew, her husband and her flew to Colorado when I was doing a meeting there last August. Her husband's a little skeptical guy, and God healed his shoulder, a 10-year injury. God healed him, so now he's ruined. And God touched all their kids and grandkids. Their kids, their grandkids couldn't sit through church services. They sat through my services for three hours. They didn't move. They were spellbound. And I don't ever go to people's houses, you know, after church because I'm in pain. But that night I felt like God told me to go to their house, their kid's house after church. And so I went to their house and there's people sitting around this big dining room table and this girl sitting next to me and I prayed for her and God healed her cancer. And we went around, I was prophesying over all the people I never met, just prophesying over around the kitchen table, you know, first impressions. And there's another girl that she had a gift of healing, and I prophesied over her, and now she calls me like once a month. Her name's Amber. And see, I don't, I don't have any friends in the whole planet that I've made relationships with by interpersonal communication skills. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I'm an introvert, but I have thousands of friends everywhere that I call my cloud buddies because they've had encounters in the glory with me and when that happens you're marked forever and you don't have to even do anything it's like you pick up where you left off I think we work too hard instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting come on you guys and so that night in August I came to Kathy the red-haired lady, she's about 70 maybe, something like that, I don't know. But she looks like she's 50. And I said, Kathy, you got a bunch of things wrong with you, and because of that, you started pursuing health, and everybody thinks you're nuts because of it. And she looked at Craig. Craig, 
Did you tell him? It's Craig's best friend. Craig travels with me as an intercessor. He was her pastor for 15 years. He didn't tell me nothing. The Holy Spirit told me. Well, she had a bunch of sicknesses, but she pursued health and got healed of all this stuff. And I just told her. And so now for five, four or five months, she's wanting to heal me. And I had to have a dream to get out of hope deferred into faith that God actually could heal me. You get it? And so I started on this new lifestyle. And I, I gave up stuff I never thought I'd give up, like meat. I'm a meat guy. Five times a day. I eat meat between the meals. And cheese is the appetizer. And Come on. And ice cream. And so I gave up all that, but four or five days into that, all the pain left my body. Now, this is weird. It's like, whoa. When pain leaves your ankles and your knees and your hips and your back, for the first time in 21 and a half years, you're like, that's a motivator to keep maybe doing it. And so what's happened since November 27th is I've lost over 150 pounds. Listen to this. Listen, listen to this. Now listen, listen. I've lost 18 inches on my belt. I've gone from a 7X to 3X. And by the end of the year, I'll probably be a 2X, which is what I wore when I was 27. And I haven't been hungry one time because I'm following truth that sets you free. And I got it in a dream where I got out of hope deferred for 21 and a half years. And God got me into faith where anything's possible for those who believe. <laughs> I got goosebumps, man. I'm just, oh. Now I have a little gal that travels around, a little blonde-haired gal that's a nutritionist that's had used to have a dozen diseases. Now she's been in this health kick for 20 years, and she's our cook. Wonder if God's good. I don't have hope deferred anymore. Because I know I'm just a matter of time for I'm completely like Jordan. <laughs> I'll wear skinny jeans. <laughs> Whoa! Praise God. Isn't God good? Here's the fourth area. This was the hardest area. My marriage was broken. We lost that first love. We lost the ability to dream together. We've been together since we were eighth graders. We got married at 19. We had our four kids by the time we were 25. 24. We had our four kids in five years. We have 14 grandkids. But about 20, 25 years ago, we had trouble with the kids, and I got hit by a semi-truck, and I gained 250 pounds. And then in 2007, I lost $15 million. And then in 2009, God said, go wake up the church. And I've lived 300 nights a year in hotels for the last nine years. And you put all that together, there's no way God can fix that because I don't have a place for him to work because I'm just... It's broken. We would never get divorced because we don't want to leave a legacy of that for the 14 grandkids. But there was no koinonia with me and my wife. There was no fellowship. There was no 
oneness. It was just two people that honored God enough that that's no way to live. You know how I theology, you know how I rationalized that one? I said, well, Wesley had a terrible mess marriage. I'll just be like Wesley. He did. John Wesley had a terrible marriage. He hated his wife. She would drag him around by his hair when he would come home. That's why he traveled so much. It's not an excuse, but you see how hope deferred makes you change your theology? If you don't stay in faith, you see what I'm saying? So this is what I found out. I think if you really get out of hope and you become hopeful or it leads into faith and belief, that becomes contagious. Last spring, God healed my daughter and her family and brought all my kids together. And then last fall, God healed our finances like I've never dreamed he could. And then last late fall, God started healing my body. And now it's December I'm in my last revival in South Carolina before I get to come home for three weeks for the, summer, for the Christmas break. And I'm just like, whoa, God, I think you can heal my marriage. I was out of hope deferred. I was actually believing it could happen because I watched him work in other areas. And he could never work in those other areas until I got out of hope deferred. Are you getting this, you guys? It's like he's waiting on us to let him do what he can't wait to do. I'm preaching really good. You know how I can be so transparent and let you know this stuff? Because Satan's got nothing on me. I'm so free. I'm dangerous. I really am. I'm fearless. I'm ready to die right now. So the best thing that could ever happen to me, I could wake up in Jesus' arms. I don't care. So I'm there in Somerville, and I said, Lord, you're going to heal my marriage. And he goes, yes, I am. So now I heard him. So now I'm way in faith because faith comes by hearing. I said, okay, what are we going to do, God? He goes, I'll tell you when you get home. It's like, okay, because I want to plan, right? Because I'm a man, and I want to plan. <laughs> I didn't fix my body, and I didn't fix my daughter, and I didn't fix our finances, but I think I can fix the marriage, right? Because I'm kind of a slow learner. <laughs> so I'm so excited, I get up at 3 in the morning and drive home 17 hours because I'm just like buzzing. Because God says, I'm going to tell you what to do when you get home. So I get home, and my wife's in bed. She's tired, so I go to bed, but I can't sleep because I'm so excited after 17 hours driving, because those vegetables make you feel like you're on drugs. And <clears throat> One thing they do is they give you, like, energy that has to be released sometimes. <laughs> you just can make up your own conclusions to that. But my whole team's doing it, and we have, like, a lot of fun times. <laughs> Blessing each other, imparting things to each other. Right, Craig? Okay. I'm so glad we're not live streaming the second service. <laughs> it was so easy to preach before social media. So listen to this. The next morning I got up, first morning at home for three weeks. Okay, God, what are we going to do? You know what he told me? Fix the fence. The dog keeps getting out. It's driving your wife nuts. Fix the fence. I thought, what? That's not a plan. That's slavery. 
So I hired my son. We fixed the fence. Dog can't get out. My wife didn't say a word. I'm like, that's stupid, God. Then he said, clean the back deck. We have a covered deck. We can look out of our family room in our kitchen. It's all covered. It's real pretty. And, but it's winter. It's December. It's cold. But he says, clean off the wicker furniture. Blow off the deck. Clean the windows and the door. Your wife likes it clean. So I did it. All day I worked. I work all the time. I'm home. I want to rest. So I worked all day. I got to the end of the day. My wife didn't say a word. I said, honey, did you see what I did? She goes, you want me to tell you what I do? That's a stupid thing to say to my wife. Come on. (laughs) Just give me the word back. Come on. So the second day I get up, what are we going to do, God? I want you to vacuum the house. I want you to dust the furniture. I want you to clean all the dishes the rest of the time you're home. She doesn't do a dish. You empty the dishwasher and load it every night. You make sure there's nothing in the kitchen when she wakes up for a whole three weeks. I want her to enjoy her holiday. I said, okay, God, I need some more information. (laughs) You know what he said to me? I want you to serve your wife like I serve you. He says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And give my life as a ransom for many. In Luke 22, he says, I'm the one at the table that's among you who serves. Now you do what I do. She needs to feel my love through your service to her. Now I got it. It's like humble pie, but I got it. Because she needs to feel his love. I don't need her to love me back. I just need her to feel his love. Come on, you guys. We've ruined the word love in America. It's like the most painful word. I love you causes more pain than any other three words because there's always an agenda attached to that phrase. But if we love like Jesus, there's no agenda. It's just real love that always brings transformation. You get it? So I started vacuuming and dusting, and I, I started finding grandkids' gum stuck underneath cushions and Little Hattie, my little four-year-old, stuck her gum in the corner of a couple of the corners of the walls. I was like, what what kind of kids are my kids raising? You know, I'm a little upset. And then all of a sudden, I start crying. Why am I crying? Because I started feeling God's glory, and I I had my best encounters with God I've ever had in my life during the holidays, doing dishes after everybody was in bed, and I would be overwhelmed by God's presence. I couldn't hardly stand up. I would just weep, and my tears would run in the dish soap because I felt God loving me as I was serving I never felt that like that. I felt glory in a lot of services, but never do like dishes glory. Because it was just pure service. And he says, whatever you do the least of these, you're doing it to me. So I did three weeks of that. The third day I get up, my wife says, hey, honey. And she can tell I've been doing stuff. So she has this audacity to ask me something that she knows I hate. She goes, hey, honey. Would you go shopping with me? I start getting those nervous ticks, you know, because I think shopping's sinful. I'm trying to live a holy, I'm trying to be holy, man. It's shopping, it's just terrible. When we started dating and we were teenagers, we'd go to the mall there in Overland Park, and I just let her shop because I just hate it. I don't shop. I buy. I just know what I want. 
I don't have to go look. Some people tell me, like, I have people traveling with me on my team that look, I'm not going to point out names, but they'll say, hey, it's $2 cheaper over there, and it's only a half-hour drive. <laughs> See, that's, to me, that's insanity. <laughs> I don't shop. I don't have to pray about stuff. I, want, I get it. God doesn't want to hear those stupid prayers. Okay, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I didn't say that. Get it back. So I would pray when I was a teenager. I'd be sitting out in the lobby of the big the mall. My wife and her having fun shopping. I'm having fun just watching. And I would pray in my dreams that a sniper would pick me out. <laughs> I would look down. There's a red dot on my chest. And I'd be shot shopping. And I'd go out as a hero. That's how much I hate it. And so she wants to go shop. I said, okay, honey, where are we going? Because God said, server. She goes, we're going to Target. I said, okay, what are we doing? We're going to get stocking stuffers. So me, I'm thinking, that's easy. That won't take long, right? But Target's huge. <laughs> There's lots of aisles. You know what Target is? It's hope deferred on steroids. It is. It's miserable. We spent like $900 on stocking stuffers. Are you serious? The whole cart's full. We were there over an hour and a half. Stocking stuffers. And my wife is so happy. I'm in pain. You know, I can walk a mile and a half, two miles, because I know I'm going to get done. But there's something that happens in your emotions when you think you could be there like forever. Is anybody identifying with this at all? Do y'all love shopping? Come on. And so she says, hey, can we take a selfie? <laughs> I'm sweating. I'm hurting. I'm hope deferred. And she goes, okay, smile. I went, huh. You know, she's, ah, click. And she puts it on Facebook. Me and my hubby shopping for the kiddos. I love it when he's home. Heart, heart, heart. I'm in pain. She's in heaven. I'm serving. So we get home, helped her get the stuff in the room where she wraps everything. And she goes, thanks for coming, honey. That means so much to me. That was her love language. So that night, I'm just like three days in. I got another 18 days of this. It's like, okay, God, here we go. So the next day I get up, day four. I'm not going to go all 21 days. Just relax, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan saying thank God okay <laughs> so I get up on day four my wife says to me hey honey you've been doing so much around here helping me I'm so thankful that's the first thing she said fourth day in I'm going to go shopping all day today and I don't expect you to come I know you want to watch some football and why don't you just enjoy your day watching football Okay, honey, have fun. I'll go if you really want. I'll go if you really want me to. But you know, she's in the other room. But I didn't want to go. Come on, eight hours. Come on. So she leaves, and I get my almonds and my water because you know it used to be chips, and now it's almonds and water. You know, Ugh, it's healthy. Sometimes I feel like a giant rabbit. That's what I feel like. <laughs> it's true. It's like I'm a hybrid rabbit. Okay. Here, have a carrot. Okay. Um, but I'm sitting there in my chair. I got the TV on. 
I'm so happy. And Holy Spirit says, I want you to clean the garage. What? What? I want you to clean the garage. And you don't understand, we got a three-car garage that we've lived in the house nine years, and she can't ever get even one car in because of all the stuff. So I hire my son and five grandkids to come over while she's gone, and we spent five hours out there working with seven of us. Organized and got rid of stuff, blew out, stacked. I left the garage door open so when she came back from shopping, she would see it. You know, she's never, been, never had a car in there since 2007, I mean, or 8, 2009, whenever we moved in, nine years ago. So she pulls in, first time in the garage, and she thought I was watching TV all day. So she comes in with bags, and she shopped eight hours. She, I don't know. She just, she just needs to get saved or something. I don't know. <laughs> No, she does it for the kids. She does it for the kids. So she comes in. She goes, honey, did you clean the garage? I just remember I laughed because she thought I did it all by myself. And so I said, it's no big deal, you know. (laughs) I didn't lie. I didn't lie. But anyway, that went on for three weeks. You get it? That went on for three weeks. And so at the end of the three weeks, I remember, Jordan, you were there at the Alliance meeting. I requested prayer for my marriage. I'm, I'm not... I don't like to play games, and I think that's the, if you want to know what the fruit of a sanctified believer is, it's somebody that's transparent. They admit they don't have it all together, and that way Satan has nothing on them. Come on, you guys. It's not perfect performance. It's perfect passion. So, I'm getting ready to leave the first, end of the first week of January to start the year, start this year, and Usually my wife just says goodbye, you know, because it's been broken. And this time she followed me out with my vitamin bag and my pillows, and I said, what are you doing? Because she don't ever follow me to the car. She said, I don't want you to leave. That's big, because usually, like, for nine years traveling, I'm home for two days. When are you leaving? That was, she would always say that. When are you leaving? It's not because we don't like each other. It's because it's broken, and I interrupt her life. You get it? She's got her life. She has to go on living. This time, she says, I don't want you to leave. So I put her stuff, my stuff in the car, and we're hugging. We don't ever do that. Now we're kissing. (laughs) Come on. Yeah. So I looked at her and I said, and then God says, you can say it now. And I said, honey, I think God's healing our marriage. She goes, I think he is. So we drove to Louisiana and I got sick with bronchitis. So Craig and Jay preached the revival. In fact, I had them do three revivals in a row because I got real sick. Detoxing. Be careful how healthy you want to get. It'll mess you up. Short term. Never mind. You'll, you'll, if you want to get healthy, you got to see Barb. She'll help you. But um, I get home, and my boy Chad calls me and said, Dad, what did you do to Mom? I said, what do you mean, son? She's really talking about you, Dad. What would she say? She says the person that was home for three weeks at Christmas isn't the man she married. And then she said, it was almost like I was 
living with Jesus for three weeks. Guess what? I don't have any hope deferred in my marriage. Those areas last year that I thought would never change, they all changed because I got out of hope into faith that turned into belief. And we got an awakening this week. We got three night services and three day services on Tuesday and third Wednesday. And, but wouldn't it be amazing if everybody came to that awakening in faith and belief instead of hope deferred? What could God do in these 72 hours? What? It could change the world. So maybe tonight, this is what I feel like we're going to do. This is what we're going to do tonight. Maybe tonight we're going to pray that God would heal our hope so we get out of worldly hope and get back into biblical hope that will lead to faith. Would that be a good night? Maybe it's your ministry. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you can't get pregnant. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's financial woes. Whatever it is that's hope deferred, it's not biblical. Because he wants you to get out of that into faith that turns into belief. And so tonight we need to ask God to heal our hope. Amen? And maybe nobody's got an issue. Come on, I mean that. You guys have life in this church. It's like a breath of fresh air to me. I want to join the church, except I'm already a member of my boys. Could I have dual membership? <laughs> but I love the atmosphere. I love the hunger. I mean, I love you people. I love your family. I feel at home. But I got a feeling that even though you're younger than me, a lot of you, there's hope deferred. You know, in Job 14, it says that when a tree dies, you know, it, it doesn't look good, but at the scent of water, it springs to life again. You don't even have to have the rain. You just need to smell it again. You know, when I heard the scent of water on my daughter in two months of praise, you know, I heard the scent of water on our finances when the Holy Spirit said to me, I'm just looking for anybody who will do what I say. You know, when I got the scent of water in my health situation, when God gave me a dream. You know, when I got the scent of water with my wife, God told me, serve her like I serve you. All you need to do is hear him again. It would bring back faith. Am I right, church? So what would happen tonight if everybody in this room, room would just be so honest, take off our masks that we're all together, and say, you know what? I'm tired of living this way. I want to live like a son and a daughter. I want to believe again. Amen? And so, man, I think you're all going to come up here and that doesn't work because then we can't pray with anybody. But if you really do have hope deferred and you want God to heal your hope, maybe it's, man, I just, when am I ever going to get married? Or when am I ever going to have that broken relationship with that brother or sister healed or when's my lost kid going to come home or I mean hope deferred takes on a lot of different things am I right come on guys God doesn't want us to live in that he wants us to live in faith so we're called faithful servants because if you stay in faith belief can happen at any moment belief Nothing's impossible for those who believe. So if you want your faith healed, 
This is what I want you to do. I want you to stand up. If you want your faith and your hope healed tonight, just stand up. Can you hold hands with somebody next to you? I don't want anybody standing up alone. Can everybody at least have somebody's hand? I mean, I don't want anybody here alone. God's here. He's a good God. This isn't a, I'm not praying for you to have goosebump emotions. I didn't feel a lot of goosebumps when I couldn't stand up in pain and when I was fixing fences and when I was telling my daughter I don't want to walk her until she listens to me. There wasn't a lot of goosebumps, but I knew I was back in faith. So I'm not, I'm not here for you to have a little good feel-good service. I really want us to let God heal our hope so that nothing can stop what God can't wait to do through us. He wants to use us to change the world. Amen? So can you just don't look up with your eyes, but look up with your hearts to heaven. Look up with your hearts to heaven. I know there's big dreams for Jordan and this church and Robin, and there's big dreams that are way bigger than they can do, but man, nothing's impossible for those who believe. So God, I pray right now you'd heal hope. We'd get out of hope deferred. We'd stop looking at the time and get our eyes back on the moment. Today's the day. Today's the day for us to believe. Today's the day for us to receive the breakthrough today. We've been focusing on the tip of the iceberg and we fought, we forgot how big it really was. Today's the day our hope's restored. Today's the day we have the scent of water and the tree comes to life again. And we don't even have to see it. We just smell it and we know it's true because we're back in faith again. So you're doing a mighty work here, God. It's river house. The river's getting bigger. There's going to be all kinds of houses planted in this river. It's going to change this whole valley. You're just trying to get the people ready. Lord, heal hope. There's people with memories here of loss, divorces, broken dreams. Lost children that died or went off the deep end. There's people here, God, with a lot of hope, deferred pain. Jesus, would you heal our hope now? Would you bring us back into faith? Bring us back into biblical faith so we live the faith. We live by your perspective. We live by your vision. We live from your realm. Our feet are far above every principality every lie, every dark place, every dominion that's not of God. We're seated way above all that. Let us believe that again because we're out of hope deferred. Holy Spirit, I pray you would heal our hope and we would be the most hopeful people on the planet. That our hope would spill out. It wouldn't be something we're holding on to because hope doesn't disappoint us. It's the love of God that's been shed abroad in the heart of the believer. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Jesus, let us believe that again tonight. You're bigger than any addiction. You're bigger than any heartache. Let us see what you see. Heal our hope. Heal our vision. 
In Jesus' name, we receive it. In Jesus' name.